And again, chapters 24 and 25 deal with the issues of the end times. And um, I have to admit that never in all my years of teaching or ministry of preaching have I really taught about the end times. And since this is the first time I've preached through the book of Matthew, getting to chapters 24 and 25 and preparing for this has been somewhat mind-boggling. Um, because if you understand the culture um, and as Jesus is preaching to this Jewish audience, or actually to his disciples, they all know the book of Daniel. They know all the prophecies. They know everything that's going. We don't. But they did, and so he's preaching to them, and it's, it has a whole different sense of meaning than maybe what we would look at. Um, but as, you're, as I'm going through this, and I'm reading more and more and more, and I'm getting more and more, like my head is about to explode, and just trying to figure it all out. And so I'm sharing that with the team as we're praying this morning. And before we're praying, I'm sharing, you know, now this is just, you know, somewhat, in some respects, overwhelming. And then um, Carla, who, you know, sort of leads us, opens us up with scripture. Uh, I'm sharing how, you know, stressed or all I'm going through all of this. And the scripture that she picked today was John 14. Bob, what is John 14.1? Trust in the Lord. I'm still going, oh man. And she goes, well, trust in the Lord with all your. Uh, okay. <laughs> yep. This is for you. <laughs> so. But we saw last week that Jesus gives a forecast of the history of his people between his first coming and his second coming. And he spends much of the time in verses 4 and 12 telling us what are not signs of his second coming, but are what are signs of what the disciples are going to be going through and what the people are going to be going through for that generation. These are just the things that are going to take place in that generation. And as we looked at that passage last week, there were sort of two overarching themes uh, that just showed through. And as we continue, as we study the scriptures, we study Matthew 24 and 25, and any time when we study the scripture, the first thought um, is that all of our thoughts, all of our thinking, all of our opinions, all of our ideas just really need to be subject to God's word. And I find it so many times that people will talk about their thoughts, their feelings, their opinions. And when you say, well, where did you come up with that? And they really can't tell you where they got it from. And it's definitely not from the scripture. And so just bringing it always back to the scripture. Um, because when the disciples asked the questions that they did in verses 1 through 3 in Matthew 24, they showed they had some misconceptions about how they interpreted 
the prophecies or the interpretive of what was going to take place with Jesus. Um, because they thought, okay, Jesus is going to, we're going to set up the kingdom right now. We're going to be reigning with God. Life is going to be all good. And we're, we're set. Because Jesus has come and he's going to establish his kingdom. So Jesus taught and used the, used the scripture to, to correct their misunderstanding. And if they had not gone to him, in the same way when we don't go to him, we continue to go through life with misconceptions. And then when life doesn't turn out the way we expected it to, we blame God. Instead of saying, you know what, maybe if I had gone to the scripture and sought him in the first place, I would have had a better understanding of what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and the consequences of what may take place. Another important thing that we learned from the pastors was Jesus' emphasis on enduring and persevering. In fact, that's just going to be one of the major themes of the scripture, and especially in Matthew 24 and 25, that these things are going to happen, and it's important that you are able to endure and persevere. Um, and we also know from Jesus' own application that one of the practical purposes of the Bible's teaching about the end times is to motivate us to endure. It's to motivate us to persevere, to not lose hope, to be able to persevere to the end. And so you see that um, in Matthew. So having said that as a background, go ahead and read verses 15 through 31. And I don't think that there's a chance on this earth that I'm going to finish all verses. But go ahead and read them anyway. 15 through 31. And we'll see how far we get today. Kickoff's not till 3.15. Or something like that. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage, we ask that you would open our eyes to see your truth for our lives. 
It's so tempting to come to a passage like this and to think of it as a puzzle to be solved instead of, to, instead of missing the important exhortations or challenges or lessons in it for us right now. So help us not to miss the lessons. Help us to continue to, to look at this with a sense of awe and wonder and not just curiosity. Again, we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, last week I mentioned that realistic expectations are essential to the success of any venture. And we gave some examples of how people set realistic expectations for the people who would be going through things. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. The disciples have this perception of what's going to take place. And Jesus says, whoa, time out, guys. This is what's going to take place. And I want you to have some realistic expectations of what it's going to look like. So that when it happens, you are prepared. You're not surprised. And it may not be good, and it may not be easy, but at least you're not going to be shocked. And the prophecies that I have given you are going to be fulfilled in order that you will know that I am still God. Um... So he's attempting to explain to them in this whole passage what they are to expect of the world and from the world, in the world and from the world, and between his two comings. And again, as we said in verses 4 through 14, he gives them a general overview of what goes on in between those two comings. And today he's going to give even more specific instructions on the things that are going to immediately happen in this generation of his disciples. And so before we look at that, also I want you to go back to Matthew 24, if you have your Bibles, and there's just three verses that we focused on also last week as we opened, verses 4, 6, and 13. And those four, three verses stand out because the first one, in verse 4, he says, call on his disciples not to be deceived. He doesn't want them to be misled. He's saying, be on your guard. That as all these things are going to be taking place around you, it's going to be pretty easy to be misled, to be deceived. And that's the same thing he's saying to each of us every day. There's all kinds of things that are going on around you, and it would be very easy to be misled and to be deceived. <clears throat> I just, it grieves me to, today, before we even even got ready for church. I got a text from a friend of ours whose granddaughter took 80 ibuprofens uh, last night. Um, the sense of hopelessness that some people, and she's okay, they found her, they got her, they, she's in the, I mean, okay physically, but there's a reason for hopelessness that would cause a person to do that. And that's part of the deception that goes around in our society that we're missing the power of Christ to truly change a person's life. Um, and then in verse 6, don't be disturbed, don't despair, don't be frightened, don't be downcast by the things that are going to happen. Now he says that in verse 6, but then when we get into today's verse it says, Flee for the mountains. You know, so he's saying, you know, 
even though you're going to have to do these things, and even though you're going to have to be diligent, or even though you have to be wise, even though all this is happening, recognize that I'm still in control, that God is still in control. Um, then in verse 13, he goes on to give actually a word of assurance when he says, all those who endure will be saved. He's reminding them of the blessing which always waits, all those who will remain faithful. So here in verses 15 and following, Jesus specifies his instructions for his followers in Jerusalem who are, who are about to undergo a severe testing. Um, but in the process of that testing, he's teaching us some key principles. And sometimes because we've so focused on that testing and tied it to prophecy and tied it to the end times, that sometimes we just lose what is the lesson for us today. So in verse 15, you'll see the first lesson. Jesus in verse 15 indicates that the siege and destruction of Jerusalem is a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 15, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet of Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So Jesus is saying, you understand the book of Daniel. Understand what's taking place. This is a prophecy that was done by Daniel, and it's coming to fulfillment in your generation. The temple is going to be destroyed. You're going to see the Roman army come into Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem. You're going to see them with their banners that say, you know, Caesar's king. And that they're going to take those banners and put them in the temple. They're going to take them in the city. He's telling them that um, and informing them as the book of Daniel said. So Jesus is telling the Jewish Christians of his generation to whom he is preaching, he is saying to them that the Roman siege was going to occur around Jerusalem, that that siege is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Now, it's always nice to live on the other side of a prophecy. But in the midst of it, it's not always as easy to see. So Jesus is saying to these Jewish Christians, when you see the armies of Rome surrounding Jerusalem, and when you see their imperial banners planted here, and when you see those banners, the declaration that the Roman emperor is divine, and when your heart feels like it's been ripped out, that the holy ground of Jerusalem has been defiled by the claims of mortal individuals, then you know that the fulfillment of prophecy is in place. Um, he's telling them that this event, when the Romans lay siege of Jerusalem and when eventually destroy Jerusalem, its occupants and the temple, it is a fulfillment of what Daniel had already prophesied. But that word is also relevant to us. Because even the Christian trials that we face are in accordance. The Christian trials that we face are in accordance with the plan of God revealed in his word. God's word constantly warns us of trials. It warns us of being deceived. It warns us of being of led astray. All through the scripture it warns us. And it said... That's why we need to be diligent. When, we're, when we face trials, we're seeing a fulfillment of the truth in Scripture. Troubles, unfortunately, prove God's truthfulness. 
And I know that that's usually not a good evangelism tool. You know, that's not the one we're going to use. And unfortunately, and this is an aside, but it just goes through my head. Um, there was a period of time that theology in the United States changed. And it really went from being obedient to choice. Ch loving and serving God was replaced by choice. Choice became our God. And after choice became our God, the next thing that happened was everything was going to be good. That, you know, power of positive thinking, you know, and I can remember from Norman Vincent Peale to Robert Schuller to Joel Osteen to you name it, the prosperity gospel, there's that sense where everything is going to be great. And then when things don't become great for somebody who gets caught up in that, there's a tremendous falling off and a distrust of the truth of God because they never got the truth. They got a portion, they got a part of it, but not the whole truth that says, yes, God wants to bless us, but yes, there's going to be trials. And yes, there's going to be difficulties. And yes, you need to keep watch. It's not just that every day is going to be a wonderful day. And people lost sight of that. And I've seen people leave the church, not because of the truth, but because of their interpretation or because they were deceived in thinking that something that God may have said in part, but not the whole. And so there was just, and that happened all through the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And the church is still reeling from that. Um, and that had nothing to do with where that was going to be at. Um, all that, when we face trials, we're seeing a fulfillment of the truth of scriptures. What we learn from this passage is that for Christians, our trials are in accordance with the plan of God. And he's revealed that to us in his word. So we shouldn't be discouraged when, he, when we come into trials and tribulations. Because we also have the promise of Romans 8.28. All things work to the good to those who love God and according to his plan. So even though God is telling us on this side, hey, there's going to be some tough times ahead. He's also saying, but I'm still in control and I work all things to the good of those who love me. In verse 16 through 18, we see a second thing. Here, Jesus tells these Jewish Christian believers in Jerusalem that when they see the abomination of desolation, they are to get out. They are to flee Jerusalem. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what was in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And so we learn as believers from the passage that Christians need to be ready to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, but we are not to invite conflict or martyrdom. I'm, I'm prepared, but this isn't like something that I should just pursue. That when it happens, I'm to flee. Jesus is saying when you see the Roman army surround Jerusalem, don't do like what the Jews are going to do. Because when the Jews heard that Jerusalem was going to be attacked, millions of them fled to Jerusalem. 
because they couldn't believe that Jerusalem would be destroyed. It was the holy city. How could God allow the city as well as the temple be destroyed? So millions of Jews came to Jerusalem and they were killed there. Josephus, one of the Jewish historians, said there could have at least been four to five million Jews that were killed in Rome because they fled because of a faulty theology. Instead of understanding and listening to what Jesus is saying, they went into Jerusalem not believing that God could destroy or allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. Now that's a, just a message of great practical importance for us folks. Um, what we learn is that Jesus makes it clear that though we are to be ready to be persecuted, we don't go forth and seek it. You know, there's no great, you know, sense of saying, okay, I think I'm just going to go out there and be persecuted, and I'm going to do things that automatically get me persecuted. I've seen people do things in the name of Christ that have just blown my mind to intentionally get people irritated with them. They have not shown God's love and God's truth. They've shown God's truth in hopes that they could be persecuted so they could wear some kind of badge of honor. So it's not inviting it, but it's not being surprised when it happens. We are to be ready for conflict, but we're not supposed to entice it or encourage it. We're to use wisdom and common sense as we approach our conflict with the world. I'm not going to get anywhere close. Uh, then, in verse 19, then in verse 19 through 21, Jesus says a third thing. He tells these believers in Jerusalem to brace themselves for hardship and to pray for their endurance. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. None, no, and never will be. Now, they're going to be going through that. But there's also another tribulation that's going to be coming that will be worse than what they've gone through. And that will be seen in other verses and other chapters and other books. But the same warning he's giving to this generation about being prepared, he's saying that other generations need to be ready for the same thing to happen. Because before he comes back a second time, there will be tribulation. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. There will be natural disasters. There will be all the same things that will be taking place. Um, but it show, and they all show us a practical counsel that Jesus has given for these Jewish Christians. They need to understand how important and how significant this persecution is going to be. But also notice the concern he has for his people. In the midst of saying this, he goes, he, he acknowledges the reality of our human condition. This is going to be horrible for somebody who's pregnant or for somebody who's nursing or for people 
And he's warning them. It's not just sort of this blanket out there. It's a warning to show the fact that he cares for us. And he even goes on to say that he's, he's concerned that they may have to flee on the Sabbath or in the winter. And it's not the winter because it's cold. It's the winter because it's the rainy season. And in the rainy season, the rivers and the valleys and all of that were flooded. And so even being able to try to cross a river to get out of Jerusalem may be a real problem. In fact, they, they showed that many Jews, when they tried to get out of Jerusalem at that point, the river was flooded and they were killed right there on the banks. So Jesus is pre predicting all of this and informing them, I care about you enough to warn you about what you're facing. Do you care enough about yourself to heed the warning? And that's what the scripture tells us all the time. These are the consequences. Salvation may be secure, you're not, but if you're deceived, you're going to go down a path that is going to give you consequences that you may not really enjoy. And so I care about you. You care enough about yourself to be diligent, to persevere, to seek his word, to be alert, to be aware, to care. So that that's, prevent, that that's is an encouragement to you. Um, then in verse 22, we see a fourth thing. Here Jesus reminds believers in Jerusalem of God's special providence over his chosen people, his special care over the elect. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And again, Josephus tells us that there was never a destruction like the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus wants his disciples to know just how hard it is. But at the same time, he also, also wants them to know that there's a limit. That it's just not going to go on and on and on. That there will be a limit to it because of his love for his people. Um, and again, it's an important lesson for us. We sometimes will see things and the first thing we say, where is God? Instead of saying, okay, the, there's no surprises here. The things that Christians are going to be going through, the things that people are going through, there are no surprises. So where is God? He's fulfilling his word. Why am I surprised? Because I didn't take time to understand his word. And what I believed and said was myself. Or I believed my power of positive thinking or my whatever instead of saying wait this is what the word says and so I shouldn't be surprised I may not like it and I may recognize that it's going to be some things are going to be very difficult but I've got a hope because Christ said he's there and even the time of what we will be going through has been cut short because of the elect because of his love for his people. Um, and so I know a lot of people may be sitting back today and saying, you know, my only goal in life is to get my child to sleep through the night right now. Or my only goal in life is to see my children graduate from high school. 
or my only goal in life is to pay the bills and stay firm in my faith. Um, well, my only goal in life may be just to get this relationship right. What in the world does the end times have to do with what I'm going through today? Um, and I think it has everything. Because if you don't believe in God's providence, if you don't believe in God's loving care, his ability to care for us and watch over us, which is set forth in this passage, you're missing one of the greatest encouragements of the Christian life. We will just continue to go through life and we will follow a pattern, but if that pattern hasn't truly penetrated our heart, we're just going through motions. But whenever we go through something and we stop and say, you know what, I don't like it. But God loves me and God cares. And I may not understand all of this, but I do understand that God loves, God cares, and God provides. And that's the promise that I have to hold on. And that's what Jesus is teaching in these verses. That in the midst of all of this, he is still there, he is still in control, he is still in charge, and he cares for us more than we care for ourselves. To know that Christ, as he rules this world, rules it with us in mind, is one of the most humbling, encouraging thoughts that a person can have. Um, now, just as an aside to that, I think that there's probably two things that take place in almost every person. And maybe not you, but I, they, they take place in me. One of them is, sometimes I just need assurance. Sometimes I hear those things that, about what God has done, and I think to myself, really? He feels that way about me? He's made those promises about me. You know, I just, I know myself better than anybody else does. Not better than God, but better than me. And sometimes when I look, know myself, I go, really, God? How in the world would you have ever done that for me? And so I think that I sometimes struggle with that. I also struggle sometimes with the complacency. That, okay, God loves me, everything's good, okay, I can just, I, I can just go on my own. There's those, these two battles that sometimes go on in my life. And he's warning us in these verses of both those. Trust me that I care about you more than you could ever care for yourself. And don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. Be diligent. So verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe for false Christ and false prophets will, ar will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus warns the believers in Jerusalem against the false messiahs. And there have been false messiahs then, there's false messiahs today, there are people who have claimed to be the reincarnation of Christ, and there's been people who have followed them. They have followed them. And he's deeply concerned that these Jewish Christians may be misled by the many, many people who came and presented to us. 
He's just as concerned about you and I today that there are going to be people who are going to try to mislead us with false teachings or false Christ or false messiahs. And wherever those things may be, he's saying, don't. Don't. Stay in tune. Stay alert. Stay diligent. Don't be deceived by them. And again, remember we said last time, if you have to sit down and think, did Jesus already come? <laughs> the scripture is pretty clear. When he returns, it will be noticed by everybody. And so if you're questioning it, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Uh, and again, it's very easy to be misled by false Christ. Uh, and so those warnings to those Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago are just as relevant to us as they were when he first spoke. So it's vital for us to stay alert. Um, well, I'm going to end here. It's vital for us to be alert. Um, I'll, I'll start again next week. And my sermon prep time will only be about half as long as it was this week. Um, so, uh, because where we get to, where it really becomes a difficult passage or verse, is verse 29. Because everything up to this point is focusing on then... And then it says, and he will return immediately after this tribulation. And that's where theologians and teachers and everybody has gotten a little bit disconnected with each other. And so I don't think I'm going to have the definitive answer, folks, but I will have an answer anyway. So, Father, I just do praise you and thank you for this day and just ask that you continue to minister to us and through us. And Lord, help us to learn the lessons. The warnings are there. Um, so help us to recognize that it's your word, it is you, it is your spirit that will empower and equip and provide. But if we're not, if we become so complacent um, and we've lost sight of the importance of being diligent and being aware and not being deceived. Lord, just shake us and help us to truly be a people that have turned to you and are seeking your guidance in all areas. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.